Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 80. So welcome guys, I am tackling this week the second volume of the Bounty Hunters run of comics. If you haven't joined the show before, then welcome, hope you enjoy it. In essence, I'll go through each of the comics in a collection and go through the general plot details and things and then talk about the various connections as well as a few opinions kind of sprinkled in there too. So um, yeah, well this one is the second volume of Bounty Hunters, so I tackled the first volume back on episode 75 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and also there is a prequel mini-series called Target Vader, which I actually tackled on episode 49 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. And if you want to go back really far, then episode 10 of Star Wars Comics and Canon is where I tackled the Han Solo Imperial Cadet miniseries, which is actually the first canon introduction to Baylert Valance, who is the main character of Target Vader and also the Bounty Hunters comics I am tackling in this very episode. And I wanted to add in here that this volume of Bounty Hunters then runs into the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover prelude. So for anyone unfamiliar, War of the Bounty Hunters, it's a five-part miniseries, but then all of the ongoing series set at the time of the miniseries, which is Bounty Hunters, the second run of Doctor Aphra, the third run of Darth Vader, and the second run of Star Wars comics, all in the new canon. They all connect together to make this five-part story, technically a six-part story. And back in episode 60 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, I tackled the prelude issues. So it was the War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha, and then issue 12 of this Bounty Hunters run, as well as the preludes for the other runs that I aforementioned. And so it basically just shows how this arc of story kind of flows into the War of the Bounty Hunters story. So so if you haven't been listening to the War of the Bounty Hunters episodes I've been doing, episode 60 is where you start, and then I think it's every four episodes for a while, and then there's a Halloween special that makes it one episode after that, and then I'm going to be tackling the finale, the fifth chapter of it all, uh, on the last full episode of Star Wars Comics and Canon this year, which is not going to be next week's episode, it's going to be the episode after that. Next week's episode is going to be the second volume of Vader Comics, uh, and then that will mean that by the end of the year, all of the current ongoing series set around this era will all be up to date on this channel. So that's background information and whatnot, so uh, let's get into the comics themselves. So the second volume is called Target Valance, obviously the main character being Bolert Valance, and it includes issues 6 all the way to issue 11, so there's 6 issues in this. Issue number 6 was released in October 2020, issue number 11 was released in April 2021, and the trade paperback collection was June 2021. Now within this there's actually two story arcs, there is Target Valance, which is the first two, and then there is the Terminus Gauntlet, which is the next four. The writer for all of these is Ethan Sachs, the artist is Paolo Villanelli, and the colour artist is Arif Prianto, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I sat down with Paolo Villanelli for about an hour, talking to him about these Bounty Hunters comics, because obviously he's the artist, as well as just some behind-the-scenes stuff of being an artist for Marvel and Star Wars, and just being a comic artist in the modern industry. So if that sounds like something that you're interested by, check out my other podcast, which is Genuine Chit Chat. Uh, episode 143 of that is where I spoke with Paolo 
Paolo Villanelli. And you can also go over to YouTube. I mean, you may already be listening to this on YouTube because obviously I upload Star Wars and Genuine Chit Chat to the same YouTube channel. Uh, but if you go to YouTube, you can watch the video version of the conversation so you get to see Paolo's face. And he's a good looking Italian chap, so I would recommend it if you're happy to see my mug on there as well. Um, but yeah, that's enough conflating of my other shows that I do, but it's a really cool chat of Paolo Villanelli. I do recommend it. So um, with that in mind, let's move on to these comics. So issue six starts with a couple of flashbacks before the crawl, because any regular listeners will know I normally start these things with a crawl, but the crawl doesn't start for a few pages. So um, I'm going to get into the flashbacks and then I will read the crawl. So this is issue number six we're starting with. So it starts with flashbacks, and Valant is on the planet Chorin years ago with someone called Yura. Yura is like his love interest. It does go into the details in Target Valance about that, and then it gets touched upon in the first volume of these comics, but it gets more fleshed out in this run themselves. So I'll give more information on that when we come to it. But in essence, Valance wants to serve the Empire who saved their planet, so he wants to go serve them and repay the debt, in essence, that he feels like he owes them. And Yura gives him a fire ruby, which is worth a lot of money and has been in her family for generations. And he says, I can't take this from you. And she says, well, you have to then bring it back then. It then cuts to a few years later in Mimban, and it shows that Valant is heavily burnt, severely wounded, and the Imperial officers who are working on him are actually surprised that he's even alive. It shows he's holding onto the fire ruby, and the Medroid says that it seems like the only thing keeping him alive is his sheer force of will. So that's a little prequel bit, so um, let's do the crawl. The cyborg bounty hunter Valance is on the run after narrowly escaping the Unbroken Clan Syndicate. With her dying breath, Valance's mentor asked him to protect the young Cadalia, the only hope to end years of conflict between the syndicates. Now, Valance and Cadalia are currently the galaxy's most wanted. So, Valance is with Cadalia at a market and he's trying to get some repairs for himself because where he's a cyborg, he needs repairs rather than necessarily medical attention. But then someone sees them. It then cuts to Vakora, who is one of the leaders of the Unbroken Clan. Technically speaking, there is a leader of the Unbroken Clan, but I think his daughter passed away and then he's locked himself in a tower for a number of years. So she's a general who's basically just taken over everything. And if anyone's been paying attention to other episodes, uh, you'll know that she's pretty brutal. And it shows that she has just finished killing the people who are loyal to the old line of the Unbroken Clan, assuming the people who are loyal to this bloke in the tower and who didn't bend the knee to Vakora. So she then requests Forlom and Zuckus to go and get Baylor Valance, and they both accept. So Forlom and Zuckus, they are people that you would have recognised, but in the movies they have no speaking roles, but in these comics they've got a whole new life, as before reading them in the canon and stuff, I didn't really read any of the Legends material that had them involved. So to clarify, Zuckus is a Gand, that's his species, and he is a Finesman. It's basically heavily hinted he has some sort of Force sensitivity, which isn't surprising because there's plenty of cultures and species and things that have a connection to the Force that aren't Jedi or Sith or any sort of overt Force user, even if they do have some degree of force sensitivity. And then Forlom, I always say this, he's actually called 4LOM because it's the number four and then the letters L, O, and M. But I call him Forlom. I've always called him Forlom. It's just easier for me to say Forlom than 4LOM. I think it sounds better. I'm sorry if that triggers any of you. Uh, But in brief, I have actually tackled some information on them both because there is actually a issue called War of the Bounty Hunters, Forlom, and Zuckus, and you get a bit more information on them. That is in episode 73 of Styles Comics and Canon, and I think I give them some bio information stuff on that episode 
episode. But obviously, if you guys are listening chronologically, then you will still have several episodes to go before you get there. Uh, but in brief, for LOM, he's a protocol droid, and he's basically created by the Gand people, or at least for the Gand people, so that they look like Gands. So, for example, like C-3PO is a protocol droid who looks like a human. That's kind of his general aesthetic. And that is the same for Forlorn, but for a different species. So that's why they both have uh, bug eyes and things. But you would have seen Forlorn and Zuckus in Empire Strikes Back. They're in the iconic scene where Darth Vader is talking to the bounty hunters. And you've got Boba Fett, Dengar, Bosk, IG-88, Forlorn and Zuckus who are all there. And obviously this comic takes place after Empire Strikes Back, but before Return of the Jedi. But anyway, back to Valance. So he tries to get Caladia some food and they are then attacked. Uh, the attacker has got Beskar armor and Valance shoots him with his hand blaster, which is one of my favorite things about Valance. I think it's so cool. Um, he shoots out a hand blaster and it just kind of bounces off the armor. And it's confirmed that his hand blaster has a 30 second recharge on it. So then this guy tussles with Valance, they're fighting and things, and Cadalia throws some cooking gel onto this guy who's attacked them. And then after a few seconds, Valance's hand blaster has charged up. So he then shoots it at the guy, which then sets him on fire. And then Valance and Cadalia run away. Meanwhile, Forlom and Zuckus manage to track Valance to Slade's repair shop. So seemingly this guy Slade has repaired some of Valance's gear, or rather part of his would you call it biology? His cybernetics, I think is the correct term. They repair that and his palm blasters now recharge a bit quicker. And Valance says that he wants some synth skin because Valance, like half of his face is showing the cyborg construct underneath that looks a little bit like the robots from Terminator when they haven't got any skin on and things. So he wants some synth skin because he thinks back to when Yura saw his face uh, when he came back from war and things. And she was very heavily surprised at what had been done to him. And he feels like she is disgusted by him now is let it confirm that she wasn't but that's how he feels obviously he's very self-conscious about that understandably being a, a human going into fight for the empire and then coming out and being like a cyborg and a lot of people derogatory call him droids actually i think boba fett calls him a droid in the last volume which he did not like very much but anyway before the repairer can confirm if he's got any synth skin or anything a blast goes through his chest and it showed that he was killed by Forlom. so valance then shoots Forlom and manages to shoot his arm off but then Zuckus appears and zaps Valance and comments calling him an old friend. They then fight a little bit and Valance manages to slice Zuckus's regulator. Uh, so Gan species can't breathe the air that humans can. I think they have to breathe in air with lots of ammonia in it or something like that. I seem to recall in one of the War of the Bounty Hunters comics, I can't remember if it's the one just with Forlom and Zuckus, I have a suspicion it's one of the ones slightly before that, but in there, um, some people go to find Zuckus, and then they go to where he's like a resting pod or something, and then they can't, they're all humans, and they can't breathe the air that he is breathing without his regulator on, so that's what that is. Basically just like a, a tube that allows him to breathe. After Valance has sliced Zuckus' regulator, Cadalia then throws a thermal detonator into the room and they run out. The thermal detonator was intentionally not activated, so it was just a little diversion, and Zuckus confirms that he actually put a tracker on Valance because he senses there'll be a bigger reward down the line if they keep following him. Valance then goes to a rebel outpost on Loic, and it shows that Valance is bleeding from the stab wound he got from Zuckus when Zuckus zapped him, he like zapped him in the chest, and it gouges out quite a lot of him. And this comic ends with Valance and Cadalia getting to Eura, which is where she's obviously hiding out, and she asks, what trouble have you brought? So with that in mind, we move on to the next issue. So it's the second of this collection, which is issue number seven. 
So Forlom and Zuckers get to the Rebel base and they've brought some Super Battle Droids with them. So Super Battle Droids, they were in obviously the prequels quite a lot. They are called B2 Series Super Battle Droids. A B1 Series Battle Droid is the standard sort of skinny Battle Droids you would be more used to. So an easy way to remember it would be in The Phantom Menace, there is only one type of droid that isn't a droidica. They're just the skinny, long-nosed, almost droids. They are B1s. Then in Attack of the Clones, when Dooku has got all the Jedi on Geonosis, up with him are a couple of grey droids they look like they don't really have heads because their heads are really small in the centre of their body it kind of looks like a, a headless walking droid they're grey uh, they shoot things out of their wrists uh, I think they also have wrist rockets and stuff as well I remember them primarily from playing Star Wars Battlefront 2 back in the Playstation 2 in like the mid 2000s but yeah these are B2 series super battle droids they are grey and they seem to not really have a head even though they technically do that's what Vorlum and Zuckers have got and obviously this is set in Empire Strikes Back time so this is or post Empire Strikes Back. So Empire Strikes Back is like three years after A New Hope, and A New Hope is 19 years after the Clone Wars end. So this is 22 years after the Clone Wars have ended. So super battle droids are becoming quite rare. Forlom and Zuckers, when they land as well, they note that Valance has been wounded. I think they see some a mixture between like blood and oil on the floor, which could only really have come from him. So Yura takes Valance in and starts to repair him. Yura has a husband who's called Condra, and Valance holds out a ruby. He mentions he never should have left, and then you get a nice little flashback. So it basically goes back to target Vader, because uh, as I said, like Valance's backstory is a combination between what you see in Han Solo Imperial Cadet and target Vader, and then what you see in these comics as well. In these comics, you generally get almost like extended moments from those other comics, but the other comics have, from what I understand, slightly more extended overviews. So it's almost like you get, say, five minutes of Valance's backstory, but when you get this comic doing it back, there's like individual scenes that would be like 20, 30 seconds long. They get extended to like 45 seconds or so. That's kind of the best way I could explain them. Uh, so even if you read all the backstory, there's still new stuff in here. But also if you don't read all the old backstory, uh, there is still enough here for you to understand what's going on. They did it quite tactfully and I do appreciate that. So anyway, that's flashback to uh, Target Vader. It shows that Yura is mad that Valance is leaving again. And then he wakes up and the Medroid is helping repair him along with Yura and stuff. And then the super battle droids attack the base. Valance says to Condra, who is the rebel whose Yura is married to, and he says to him that, look, this is a diversion. Condra doesn't really agree with Valance and then goes off with a bunch of rebels to fight off these battle droids. And then Cadelia and Yura discuss a way to get out via a hidden tunnel that they've got. And Valance is like, yeah, go leave. So Valance stays and then Forlom attacks. And I just want to quickly read a couple of lines of dialogue from Forlom because I think they're excellent. And from my notes here, I'm not going to be reading any other lines of dialogue that I can see. So it's your only one for the episode because I think last week's one I said I'm only going to read out one and I end up reading out like three. So <laughs> this is going to be the only one this episode. So Forlom blows the doors off the hinges and steps in with a big gun and says to Valance, Valance, turn over your young charge and your death will be swift and merciful, relatively. Valance says thanks he'll pass and is swinging this big metal thing about, seemingly destroys the weapon that Forlom is holding, and Forlom then smacks him in the face with the now broken gun and says, Your actions do not compute. There is no profit standing in my way, not for a cyborg with human pain centers. Valance then says, Should have stayed a protocol droid for LOM, would have been safer, and Forlom says, You should have chosen to run. Then he lifts up Valance and throws him to a wall, and this is my favourite part of what he says. He picks up Valance and says, I am not programmed to enjoy terminating you, and then throws him and says, and yet my receptors would have to analyse this as a positive experience. 
But yeah, they continue to tussle and things. And Forlom is kind of mocking Valance a little bit. And then Valance pulls out a blade that he's got hidden in his wrist, stabs Forlom in the middle. And then Forlom seems to explode and set ablaze. And when Valance thinks he's kind of beaten him, Forlom starts laughing, which is very peculiar for a droid. And Forlom is kind of like breaking and things and says that the battle droids were just the first distraction. There is a reason that I partner with a Gand. And then Valance realises that Zuckus has probably gone after Cadelia and Eura. So it then shows that those rebels are seemingly beating those super battle droids. And then it shows that Zuckus hits Eura on the head after she tries to shoot him and fails. And then Zuckus stuns Cadelia. Valance manages to get there and Condra has got Eura in his arms and says, look, just go. I've got her. You go on and get Zuckus. So Valance then confronts Zuckus and Forlom appears just behind them. Valance offers them the Fire Ruby and they accept and say they'll give him three standard rotations slash days to be able to, you know, get a head start in essence. So Valance then tells the rebels that they need to evacuate because Zuckus and Forlom are no doubt going to tell the Empire and Valance leaves Cadalia with Eura. Valance calls himself a freak and Eura says, no, you weren't and you're not. And she confirms that she would have loved Valance anyway, even the way he is, if he had stayed with her like he said he would. And then he left and obviously things have changed. Valance then tells Cadelia to take care of Eura too because she deserves a better life than Valance could give her. And then the final panel of this comic is just showing Valance by himself on his ship looking glum. And that is the depressing end to issue number seven. So yeah, we move on to issue number eight, which then starts off the next arc. So those first two are target Valance and then the next four are going to be the Terminus Gauntlet. And I will say, it's issues like the previous one that make me really like Valance as a character. I think Aphra might still be my favourite comic exclusive character, or maybe Triple Zero, because he is just incredible. But Valance is very, very close. I mean, I would be absolutely over the moon if we got to see Valance in Book of Boba Fett. I am incredibly doubtful that that is going to happen. But, you know, Cobb Vanth was in the Mandalorian, and he was just a book character from interlude chapters in the Aftermath trilogy. So... Nothing's impossible, but man, Valance is so cool. He's one of my favorite characters. He's just got so much weight to him. He's got, he's so complex. He evolves as a character and he's not perfect. And it's just, oh, there's so many layers to him. I just think he's really cool. But yeah, moving on, let's start with issue number eight. So it does another flashback and it shows that Valance is flying with Solo and some others. And he then crashes and then is seemingly abandoned by his flight mates. As I said, this is all in Han Solo Imperial Cadet, and that was episode 10 of Styles Comics and Canon, so either pick up the miniseries or check out my episode, and I give more than enough details on that story. So it shows now on a planet called Narkaga, and that is N-A-R and then K-A-A-G-A, so I may be mispronouncing that, but it's basically a planet in hut space. It's in Legends a little bit, I think in 2009, it was in like a Legends reference book or something along those lines. It hasn't really had a huge amount of attention to it in canon or in Legends, but it's part of hut space. You can normally tell on something's hut space because a place is called Nar something. You've got Nar Shadar, Narkaga, I think Narkanja's somewhere as well, but anyway. You've got Valance who is basically in this sort of bar area and you get to see one of my favorite little bits of trivia that I know about Star Wars and that is you get to see Figrin Da'an and the Modal Nodes. Now you may be thinking, I don't recognize that name. You bloody well should. They are the Cantina Band who play the song in the Cantina in A New Hope, you know, that song. And that song is actually called Mad About Me. So you can impress your friends about that. I mean, I always like that little fact in there. Anyway, back to the main actual purpose of this story rather than a band showing up in the background. You've got Valance who talks to a character called Syfac. 
Now, Syphak is in the second run of Dr. Afro comics, and he also appears in the War of the Bounty Hunters uh, crossover. He's basically a guy, I think he's like a bounty broker, I think the term is. So someone tells him there's a bounty out, and then he has loads of contacts, and he makes contact with these contacts, and tells them about the bounty, and then some of them may take it. And he confirms to Valance that there is a hit on him, and that he shouldn't have sided with Nakano Lash. And Valance is then shot in the shoulder by a gentleman named Tasu Leech. Now, Tasu Leech, I have given a bit of bio-information to him on one of the War of the Bounty Hunters comics I do, but in essence, he is a guy who is in The Force Awakens, he is part of Kanja Club, he gets killed by a Rathatar when you've got Han Solo and he's collecting with the Rathatars, and then, you know, a lot of gangs basically go after him and Ray and Finn help him evade them all. Tasu Leech is a member of Kanja Club. He was introduced in Bounty Hunters Volume 1, so I give a lot more information to him there as well, uh, so I'm not going to give any further there, just go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. So yeah, it was confirmed that Tasu Leech shot Valance, and Syphak confirms that he got Tasu on loan from the Huts, and he was cheaper than Fennec Shand, which is a nice little reference there. Fennec Shand is in the Mandalorian series, and she's also appeared in the Bad Batch as well, and she's also going to be uh, quite a main character in the Book of Boba Fett too. Anyway, Valance tussles with Tasu, and after a bit of fighting, he manages to knock him down. He then takes credits from Syphak, and then is calmed by Condra, the rebel partner of Eura. Valance confirmed in a previous issue that he owes him one, like a specific favour, for not only, you know, taking Cadalia, but also because Valance made the whole rebel base have to move, because he went there and took a couple of bounty hunters there with him and stuff in the previous issue. So, Condra says he's now cashing in that favour. It's confirmed that a rebel transport is stranded near some pirates. Uh, the rest of the rebellion won't help because they are having their communications tracked and decrypted by the Empire. Uh, if you want to know about that story, that I've already tackled that in the first and second volume of the main run of Star Wars comics, the second volume of which I tackled in episode 78 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, so it's nice they're all still marrying up even when they're not directly in the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover. But anyway, long story short, the Rebel Transport is just stranded there because uh, the Rebellion can't get resources to get to it and also they can't communicate with each other due to the Empire tracking them and etc. So, Condra asks Valance to help and save the people on that rebel transport. Valance agrees, and Syphak then tells Forlom and Zuckus where Valance is going. Valance then goes off to where this rebel transport is. He manages to find the ship, but it's got a lot of debris and old, seemingly abandoned ships nearby. He communicates to the rebel transport saying he's going to come help him, and they tell him to get out. And he's like, what? And then a handful of Weequay pirate ships then attack. They've got Dengar on board as a hostage, and there is a new leader of the Onaka gang. And the leader of the Onaka gang is called Captain Scrag. And they fire upon Valance's ship, which is called the Broken Wing, and that is where issue number 8 ends. So before tackling issue number nine, I want to clarify what the Onaka gang actually is. And if you don't know it, then I'm quite upset because it's actually one of my other favorite characters in all of Star Wars, which is Hondo Onaka. So Hondo made his appearance in the Clone Wars animated series. So it's all win the canon and stuff. But he basically has run-ins with Obi-Wan Kenobi quite a lot. And then in Star Wars Rebels, he comes into it as well, which obviously is set about 14, 15 years later. And he comes into contact with Kanan Jarrus, uh, as well as Ezra Bridge and basically just the main character of Star Wars Rebels, he gets entangled with them on a few episodes too. He is also in the Galaxy's Edge comic miniseries, this little anthology thing, and I tackled that a while ago on Star Wars Comics and Canon, all the way back on episode 20, so go back and check that out if you so desire. And also, if you go to Galaxy's Edge, I'm fairly certain there's either an animatronic or a person dressed up as Hondo Onaka there as well. Um, he's appeared, I think, fleeting in other stories here and there a little bit, but he is primarily in animation, and I, I really hope we get to see him in live action one day. But anyway, 
Clearly, at this point in the story, he has lost his reign over his own pirate gang, and this person, Scrag, has taken over it. So with that in mind, let's move on to issue number nine. So issue nine starts with yet another flashback. It's got more of Valance's survival and the Empire abandoning him and stuff, you know, after he crashed his TIE fighter. It shows that Han Solo and the others defied the Empire to go and save him. Once again, Han Solo Imperial Cadet details all that. But comes back to now and it's got Valance's ship is being split apart by being fired upon by these pirates. The wings basically fall off and he's just flying this pod thing. It looks like when he got attacked, he kind of pressed a button and it made them release. That might be why the ship is called the broken wing because it can detach from its main wings and things or thrusters. And so it's just like a little pod with a little thruster at the back of it. So he manages to fly this little pod thing into the rebel ship and then it cuts to where Dengar is. So Dengar has a debt to the Onaka gang, hence why he's helping them and stuff. And Dengar says that he's bested Valance once before, which was in Target Vader. Then it cuts to Valance, which is shown he is in jail. The rebel leader wants to surrender to the pirate and isn't listening to anything that Valance is saying seriously. Meanwhile, it cuts to a character called Losha. Now, Losha is the wife of a character called Toonga, who we saw in Volume 1 get shot through the chest by Boba Fett. Toonga and Losha were both living on a farm together. Toonga used to be a bounty hunter, I think, and then her brother, Toongor, got killed in the first volume of Bounty Hunters. Once again, it goes into details about that. So she had retired. She had that this life on this farm of Losha, finds out about Toongor dying, and then comes out to try and get vengeance for him. And then in the midst of that, she gets shot through the chest. So you've now got Losha, who is her wife, going through trying to find out what happened to her. So, Losha lands on Rusan, which was in the previous volume. Once again, there's a blind bloke there. That's when Akano Lash was hiding, etc. And she asks about Toonga. This blind guy takes her to where Toonga is, and it shows that Toonga wasn't killed after all, like we were led to believe in Volume 1. She's actually just badly wounded. She's hooked up some life machines, like life support and stuff. There's like lots of cables coming out of her, and she's got a big old chest wound, but it's got this metal tubing on it, seemingly healing it. And the blind man said that he's actually amazed she's even alive. And then the final sort of panels of their scene together shows that Toonga opens her eyes to see Losha. Back to Valance, he talks to someone called Blanche Sprawl, who is quite a low-ranking rebel. They're actually just really mechanic more than anything. And he manages to convince her to let him out because surrendering to the pirates will just mean the pirates kill them all. And she confirms to him that there is actually a fighter in the hangar, but no one left on board actually knows how to fly it. So the next panel shows that Valance is now flying an X-Wing, which is quite interesting, which he's never flown before. And he's like, how much more different can they be to a TIE fighter? Because obviously where he was in the Empire, he flew TIE fighters quite a lot, which is quite a nice little, I think that's a nod to The Force Awakens. When Poe flies a TIE fighter, he's like, you know, oh, how different can it be? And he's like, whoa, this thing can really move. So I like to think it's a little connection. Doesn't matter if it's not. But in this X-Wing, Valance is shooting out some pirates and things. He manages to destroy two of the ships. And there's his astromech that's on board. It's not his. It's one of the rebel ones that that keeps arguing with Valance. And he's like, just stop. Just listen to me. Let let me do this. And uh, he gets this droid to send out a message. Then the X-Wing then flies towards the last couple of ships that the pirates have. And it jumps to hyperspace. The pirates then continue what they were doing, connect to the rebel transport, and then get on board. And they've got Dengar looking there as well. They're looking for a score, like something in particular, which is why they've got Dengar with them. You've got the rebel leader who is in the bridge, and he's arguing with his subordinate, telling him not to do certain things. And then the last panel you see with him is with a blaster to his subordinate's back. And then the final panels of issue number nine shows that Valance is holding onto the outside of the ship. His face is even more damaged. It's now even less synth skin left on his face. So that's where issue number nine ends. So let's move on to the penultimate comic. So issue number 10. 
and it starts with another flashback. So the Empire won't give Valant any cybernetics for his amputated leg or anything else because he's seen as a failure. You know, he crash landed, then some other Imperials, which was led by Han Solo, then went to him and saved him, even though it went against what the Imperials wanted, and they actually failed the mission they were meant to be doing as well. So the Empire is not really a fan of Valant or any of the squad. Han questions to Valance why he wanted to stay in the Empire, and then when Valance is kind of trying to explain to him why, Valance looks up and Han Solo is just disappeared he's gone so i think that's kind of the end of the flashbacks so far in this collection but as i said check out han solo imperial cadet so back to now the pirates are looking for someone on board not actually something so they say look you just kill all of these rebels apart from this one person we're trying to find Valance, meanwhile, who's hanging onto the outside of one of the ships, manages to climb inside. He plugs himself into a terminal, opens a door, and then jumps in and shoots one of the pirates. It cuts to Rusan, where Toonga wants Losha to go after Nakano Lash's killers. Losha obviously just wants to go back with Toonga to just have their nice little life in the farm, but Toonga's not having any of that, so Losha says, well, I'm coming with you then. Then that blind dude who's a friend of Nakano Lash and was the one seemingly healing Toonga tells them to take his Nexu. As a reminder, Nexu is basically like a scary space wolf hyena thing. Uh, you see it in Attack of the Clones when it's the monster that fights Padme in the Geonosian pit and scratches her back. That's what a Nexu is. So back to Valance's situation. On the ship, there are some pirates guarding some hostages. Blanche Sprawl, that person who let Valance out, is among them. She has managed to remove her own cuffs and is just removing her comrades' cuffs as well. Obviously handcuffs, but they're called, I think, magna cuffs in this. The pirates near them hear a clanging noise and they go and investigate and then Valance throws them into some engine flames. So it's in the engine room and there's, you know, fires going on and incredibly hot things that are connected to the engines and whatnot. And yeah, he throws them in there. So quite an unpleasant way to die. A pirate then aims at Valance and is about to shoot, but Sprawl hits him with a pipe. It appears that the hyperdrive motivator actually was sabotaged, which is how the rebel transport was stuck there. Meanwhile, Dengar and the leader of the Onaka gang called Scrag are on the bridge, and it's confirmed that the commander, the sort of leader of all those rebels, is actually Dengar's inside man. Uh, they've known each other for a while and things, and this rebel confirms, or more so ex-rebel, confirms that he is a survivor. After Hoth, it showed that rebels have got a huge amount of weakness, and he's not willing to be stuck with them, basically. He has some rebel transponder codes, which him and Dengar are then going to sell to the Empire and make loads of money off, and that's one of the reasons why Dengar extracted him. Meanwhile, it shows Forlom and Zuckus hear Valance's message that his X-Wing has been sending out. They look at the time in a way and kind of think, okay, well, the ruby that he gave us has bought him enough time now, we can go and pursue him again. He's got enough of a head start. So they head towards where Valance is or where the signal is coming from. So Valance is then taking up pirates one by one. It's almost like a horror film in some ways. It kind of makes me think a little bit of Aliens, except you're rooting for the, all of the crew members to die. Well, I suppose it's more so you're rooting for the pirates to die. You know, the crew members are actually the rebels. But you get to see there's quite a few cool horror panels where you see just like Valance's red eye glowing in behind and like a, a silhouette almost of his sort of skull, which is obviously quite metallic and things from the cybernetics underneath. And he like reaches out and grabs someone and then pulls them into the darkness and they're gone. So quite like those little uh, moments moments there. And while that's happening, Dengar and that defector guy uh, plan to betray Scrag, who is obviously the pirate who brought them there. So the pirates then restore the power and Valance then gets them as well. So he's just taking out pirates here, there and everywhere, like one or two at a time. Valance is then about to fight with Scrag and Scrag just runs away and Blanche manages to get the defector. Valance manages to KO Dengar and then Dengar mentions Han Solo a little bit later on when he's kind of woken up from being knocked out. 
And obviously Valance owes something to Solo from him like saving his life and whatnot, where he feels like he owes him something from saving his life and etc. So after Valance hears that Han Solo was frozen in carbonite and is being collected by like Boba Fett and is being delivered to the hut, he wants to try and help. And then the last panels of this comic show that Blanche Sprawl communicates to Condra and confirms about the commander betraying them and stuff and saying that Valance saved them and whatnot, and Valance heads off with Dengar. So this leads us to our final comic of this collection, this story arc, and it focuses quite a lot on Bosk, actually, which is why it's a little bit different and why there's loads of cool connections here. So I'm just going to jump right on into it. It starts off with Valance confirming to Dengar that he needs help finding Han Solo because the Bounty Hunters Guild froze Valance out so he hasn't really got any resources or any contacts or anything like that so he doesn't really even know where to start. Dengar in response then punches Valance in the face and then says right now we're even after what you did to me in the previous issue and so they shake hands and agree to Inequit's team up. So then it cuts to the bulk of this story and is on a planet called Malastare. Now you'd know Malastare if you've seen the Clone Wars episodes because there is a two-part arc about the Zillow Beast, which is very much like a King Kong kind of story. And it's also mentioned quite a lot elsewhere. The Gran species actually colonize Malastare and the Gran have got, they're kind of like goat faces, kind of. They've got three eye stalks as well, kind of goat cow-ish sort of beings, but they're humanoid. Uh, you see them in the Senate in the prequels. They were first appeared in Return of the Jedi. Um, they're in the prequels quite a lot. As I said, they're in the Senate room and things. And they've also, funnily enough, got two stomachs. And they're also from a couple of other planets, including Hoktu and Kinyon. Um, one of them is actually called Ask Ak, which is one of the senators. And he has the line saying that they specifically need a clone army in Attack of the Clones when Palpatine is trying to rally for emergency power. But anyway, the Grands colonized Malastare and the Dugs are native to that planet. Now, Dugs, you know Dugs because in The Phantom Menace, there is a character called Sebulba, who is one of the least likable characters in all Star Wars. He's the really aggressive, horrible racer that sabotages Anakin's pod, and then Anakin manages to beat in the Bunta Eve pod race, which is the name of that pod race in The Phantom Menace. So you've got Dugs who live there native, but the Grand Species have come in and colonized it, basically. But yeah, Malastare is in the mid-rim. Uh, there's lots of forests and stuff. And also Malastare is in Star Wars Legends a fair amount too. But anyway, on Malastare, you've got Bosk who kills a Gran. Now, Bosk himself, he's about 1.9 meters tall, which equates to about 6 foot 3 inches. And his name, I think it got like canonized in the certain point of view Empire Strikes Back collection of stories. So it is called Bosk Wasak. Kradosk. Yeah, that's his full name if you ever want to know Bosk's full name. And obviously he is a Trandoshan, so he's like a lizard person. Once again, he's one of the people that you see in Empire Strikes Back. He is a very fearsome creature, and Trandoshans have very similar strength to Wookiees as well, but they're generally a bit more vicious. They worship something called the Scorekeeper that is basically like this goddess that they think kind of rewards them in karma when they kill people in like really cool or difficult kills. Those sort of things. They're quite a hunting species. It's not very often that you get oceans that are in air quotes good you get quite a lot of them that are sort of neutral or even bad there's a lot of hunting that goes on on the planet of trandosha but there is a high republic era jedi called skier who is a trandoshan which was quite rare 
But anyway, it confirms that on Malastare there is the Great Hunt of Malastare. It shows that, yeah, there's people being hunted by rich people, and there is a mun called Exum Germit. Now, the mun species have been seen in the prequels. They are the ones who are the banking clan. So there's a couple of arcs in the Clone War series about the banking clan and stuff. I think Padme goes off to a, a world where the banking clan are. But in Attack of the Clones, when Obi-Wan is spying on Dooku on Geonosis, and then he sees that room, and you've got like Newt Gunray, the Nemoidian there, you've got Wat Tambor, who's member of the Techno Union, and then you've got this guy who they look kind of human-ish, but they've got like quite big heads, and there's like the banking clan will uphold your treaty. I think that's what he says, and that's quite similar to how he says it. That's who it is. Darth Plagueis, who's Palpatine's master, that's in canon, he was a mun as well, and in the Darth Plagueis book, which is Legends, it's written by James Asino, uh, that goes into a bit more detail about him as a character, Darth Plagueis. But as I said, that isn't canon, even though seemingly it doesn't really contradict much of canon, so it's quite a popular Legends book, even with the modern era canon. But once again, I'm not going to get into all that here, but that is what a mun is. So anyway, this Mun, before going on this hunt, he speaks to Bib Fortuna, the right-hand man of Jabba the Hutt, and he is questioning, why have you gone to this mysterious partner? Why have you gone to them? Why wouldn't you give some of your money or sponsor Jabba instead? And Exum is like, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you again. I'm not dealing with you guys. I've already, I can't go back on what I've done with this other person. I'm a person of my word, blah, blah, blah. And then Bib kind of makes like a vague threat, and then Exum says that he has an army. And within that army, it's got a Dowatin called Grumgar. Now, Grumgar is actually in The Force Awakens. Uh, you see him sat on this sofa thing next to this woman who wears a lot of black makeup, and she's got this kind of like one-piece suit on that's silvery. She's the one who calls the First Order to attack Takodana, you know, Maz Kanata's castle in The Force Awakens. Grumgar is sat next to her. And a Dowatin is a big, hulking creature. They have, like, tusks coming out of their chin. They are absolutely just brick walls of beings. And there is a character who is in the Darth Vader comics, the 2017 run by Charles Saul, and is also in the game Jedi Fallen Order, and she is called the Ninth Sister, and she's part of the Inquisitors. But yeah, that was just a fun little thing I thought, oh, that's Grumgar there. Or I, I saw the Dowatin, and I was like, I wonder if that's Grumgar. And then a few panels later, he says his name is Grumgar. But anyway, it shows that two Doug, as in the species, are hunting, and one of them runs after their prey, which is a human. In running towards them, they fall down this pit that's got some wooden spikes in it, and then Bosk fights the other Doug. And while he's kind of fighting him and things, one of the people who's with Bosk shoots the Doug, and then Bosk is pretty annoyed by that, because he says the scorekeeper will, you know, look down upon that easy kill, in essence. You know, he likes the fight, he likes the struggle. So then it shows that Bosk is basically with, like, a handful of a couple of humans, a couple of other random species, but it's a group of people who are basically being hunted, and Bosk is there. And he is telling them what to do, because none of them really have a clue, and obviously he's, he's this fearsome fighter. And he's like, look, one of you might survive if you follow my instructions. So this Exum guy, who is the Mun and his mini-army, ambush the people with Bosk. He manages to do this because Bosk tells them to go across this valley. And they're quite apprehensive about this. And they're like, are you sure? This seems like a pretty good vantage point of us getting ambushed. And Bosk is like, look, just go and, you know, you might survive. And then they head towards this valley and then Bosk disappears. Then when this Mun and his army ambush them, Bosk then comes out out of the floor. He swipes at one of these members of this private army, slashing out this guy's eyes. And as he does that, he also activates a thermal detonator on the guy's belt. So as this guy is holding his now bleeding eye sockets and stumbling towards the group of the army that he's with, saying, he just cut out my eyes, they're like, oh god, look, what's that beeping? And then the thermal detonator explodes and blows a chunk of them up. 
So then you get a fight between Bosk and Grumgar, the Dowatin. They fight, and it's a pretty cool fight. It seems like quite evenly matched. But Bosk scratches Grumgar's face and then hits him in the head with a really big rock. After Grumgar says, you don't fight with honor, and he says, how about a big rock? And then smacks him in the head with it. Grumgar is seemingly KO'd, and then Bosk makes a comment saying that he'd want to fight him again on another day when he's in less of a rush. So then Exum then gets to this ship that he's found that's on the sort of the other side of the valley that you know where Bosk said to those people go to that valley that's where Exum has gone so he gets this ship and it shows that it is Bib Fortuna's ship he asks to be let on board so he can escape and Bib says that he'll call off Bosk if Exum calls off his deal with this other person and then obviously goes with Jabba Exum says that he can't you know, he wouldn't do that so then Bosk kills him Bib offers Bosk some really fancy food that he got uh, from that really fancy place that all the rich people are hunting from and stuff, and Bosk refuses. He says he only wants raw meat. Then Bib confirms that he's got another job for Bosk, and it's a lot more difficult, which Bosk is receptive to. He's like, ah, finally a challenge. That whole time, Bosk was only there to basically be part of the crew that is hunted so that he could then hunt this person who's made a deal with one of Jabba's competitors, which Jabba didn't like very much. And who is this mysterious competitor, you may ask? Well, I already know it. I won't, just in case any of you guys are listening to this along chronologically and you're reading the comics and you haven't yet made it to the War of the Bounty Hunters. But in the War of the Bounty Hunters, there's a certain crime syndicate that pops up and they're quite central to the plot. And as far as I can see, that's the mysterious client that they are speaking about. So if you want to know who that is and the details there, you know, start with episode 60 of Star Wars Comics Canon and you can go from there and listen to all of the War of the Bounty Hunters stuff. So then issue number 11 finishes with it cuts back to Valance and Dengar and it shows that Dengar has a contact and sends the location of Boba Fett's ship called the Slave One. So him and Valance then can go get Boba Fett and Han Solo. And that my friends is where this whole volume double story arc comic all ends. As I said, it leads into issue number 12 of the Bounty Hunters, which is the prelude to the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event, which I tackled in episode 60 of Styles Comics and Canon, and then the first full volume of the War of the Bounty Hunters was episode 64, and then episode 68, 72, and 77. And then I will be tackling the finale of the fifth chapter of War of the Bounty Hunters in two episodes time, so that will be episode 82. And in addition to that, next week, so episode 81, that is going to be the second volume of the Darth Vader comics, the third one of Darth Vader comics from 2020, which is written by Greg Pak. Obviously, last week, I tackled the first volume of that, so I thought it'd be good to do the second volume next week, uh, and then the week after that, I'll do all of the Bounty Hunters, and then that'll mean that all of the ongoing series for Aphra, Bounty Hunters, Vader, and Star Wars are all up to date, aside from like one or two issues, and then next year, when each arc ends, we'll kind of go from there. Uh, I know that there's a mini series coming out called Crimson Rain, so I don't know if all of the series are going to intertwine with Crimson Rain like they did with War of the Bounty Hunters, or if Crimson Rain is going to be its own thing. We shall see. Once I've read a few of the issues, I'll kind of figure out where to go from there. And I did also confirm that obviously the week after that, which will be out I think December 18th, is going to be the last full episode of Star Wars Comics and Canon for 2021. And that's going to be, yeah, the War of the Bounty Hunters. I've said the words Bounty Hunters so many times in this episode, my brain is starting to like frazzle at the even thought of trying to say them. Um, but after that, you know, the week after that will be Christmas. So Hazar, I'll probably release something on Christmas. Uh, and then there'll be another episode the week after that, which I think will then be like New Year's Day or something. I've got a few Patreon things that me and Megan have done about Star Wars so I'll probably end up just releasing them on here just so you guys have some degree of things to do over Christmas to do with me because you know you can't have Christmas period without listening to my voice what's wrong with you 
Um, but yeah, don't want to leave you guys high and dry, but I'm not going to be reading a ton of comics over Christmas. I'm going to be chilling out with Megan and probably drinking and eating myself silly, uh, watching a bunch of Christmas movies and then immediately watching loads of movies that have nothing to do with Christmas. But anyway, I'm not going to ramble on about my personal life here. If you want to hear about my personal life, go to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. That was a flawless segue. Um, basically for as little as one pound a month, you can contribute to myself and feed this Star Wars podcast as well as the Genuine Chit Chat podcast. You know, the more money I get, the more time I can invest in actual podcasting. It's really for me, but it's also for you guys too. That's the way I'm kind of framing it. Um, but you will get an episode of Afterthoughts every single week. If you become a Patreon supporter, you get access to an audio feed. You basically get a link and you can either put the link in a podcast player that you listen to, or you can just listen on the Patreon app itself or on their website, either or but you do get a little link that you can pop in the podcast player lots of places that you can listen to it but yeah basically one pound a month which for me is a huge amount of money to receive from you guys and there's already quite a few of you but more the merrier and stuff you get access to one episode of afterthoughts every week uh, on genuine chit chat when i release a two-parter uh, you get access to the full unsplit part one and part two in one go so you don't need to wait for part two if you're a patreon supporter and also when i release part two of genuine chit chat on that feed because you're a patreon and you've already got part two because obviously you listen to it a week early then you get access to a bonus afterthoughts so every sunday you'll get something to listen to be it standard genuine chit chat stuff or afterthought stuff plus on most wednesdays i'll release an episode of afterthoughts we do stuff on tv shows we do stuff on movies we do spoiler free reviews of new movies and they're only like seven to ten minutes long they're quite easy to digest we're going to do some Christmas movies, no doubt. I think we're going to do a Harry Potter rewatch as well. We've done all the Star Wars films apart from recording our thoughts on Rise of Skywalker. Um, we also do road trips and stuff. So we drove up to Scotland recently and we recorded a podcast in the car there. You know, there's loads and loads of additional content there. You get to support the show. Loads of reason to go check it out. And for the slightly higher tiers, you get a bit more as well. And I appreciate each and every one of you that even considers it. But if you don't want to contribute financially to support this show, there's many other ways you can do it. You can just listen like you're doing now, and I appreciate that greatly. You can subscribe on YouTube, which I'd really appreciate you guys doing. If we can get to 100 subscribers, then I can change the name of the channel from all gobbledygook to slash genuine chit chat. You need 100 subscribers to do that. So I know the majority of you just listen audio wise. But if you do have a YouTube account, it would really do me a solid if you went over there and subscribed. Uh, if you also either have already done that or you don't want to do that, but you still want to help about the show you can share on social media you can tell your friends about it but also something that would really help is leaving reviews uh good pods is quite a good place for indie podcasts and stuff so you can post about things you can leave reviews on there you can do it on apple podcasts uh, you can do it really anywhere that you can find that's got review facility you can re- leave a review for either comics in motion or genuine chit chat any of those sort of things you know there's loads of ways to support this show and there's loads of ways that i would hugely appreciate it if you don't want to do any of those things that's okay i understand you don't want to do it for every podcast you listen to there's a lot of them so it's okay i appreciate you listening Aside from that, guys, as I said at the start, you know, uh, Paolo Villanelli, he is an incredible individual. Please check out my conversation with him. You can either check out the video version on YouTube and you could subscribe while you're there, um, or you can listen on the feed of Genuine Chit Chat, which is my other show, where I talk to a wide variety of guests, some to do with Star Wars. Most of them are nothing to do with Star Wars, so don't you worry. Uh, but yeah, I've had Claudia Gray, the author, on. I've had Dominic Pace, who's in The Mandalorian. I had Michael McCormick, who's a puppeteer and actually created Salicious Crumb, who is the little Kowakian monkey lizard in Return of the Jedi. I also spoke 
spoke to Alex and Molly of Styles Explained, who are YouTubers. I've got another Styles conversation due to be recorded in a week or two with a guy called Ben. He runs Star Wars Timeline on YouTube, and I've been on his show like four times. So it's about time that he comes on my show and things. And in these show notes, guys, there is lists of all the guest spots I've been doing recently. So as I said, I was on Star Wars Timeline like four times talking with him about the sequel movies. Uh, I've also been on the Hall of Mayors podcast where Star Wars did come up. We also spoke about pop culture and things. I was on the Beer Nuts production podcast, and that was only a 20 minute conversation. That was a lot of fun, and Star Wars still got mentioned there. So there's loads of places you can find me genuine chit chat, Patreon, obviously on this feed, YouTube, loads of guest spots in other places, tons of great places that you can listen to me. And uh, obviously, you're listening to one of them already. But that's going to be enough from me, guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always. I appreciate each and every one of you listening to this show. Make sure you check out the other shows on Comics and Motion if you're listening on a podcast app. If you're not listening on the podcast app and you're listening on YouTube, please subscribe and like and etc. And if you want to see some video versions of my shows or if you want to see collected playlists like every conversation I've had involving Star Wars or every conversation I've had with someone who is an author, things like that, I've put loads of playlists on my YouTube channel. And also all my Star Wars Comics and Canon episodes are also in little playlists there. So if you just want to hear everything about Darth Vader, then there's a whole playlist for Darth Vader with every single canon comic that Darth Vader has a major role in. There's loads of them. Loads of reasons to go check out YouTube, loads of reasons to subscribe, and loads of reasons to just keep swimming in all of my content and only listen to podcasts with my voice in it. But anyway, I'm rambling at the end here. Thank you as always for listening, guys. I'll talk to you next Saturday with the second volume of Darth Vader 2020 by Greg Pack. And as always, may the Force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton. Honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in.